You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1934th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 22nd of June 2023. The editor of this edition is Sue Aitchison, the producer is Colin Holmes and your readers are Chris Payne and Neil Keeley. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. And we commence with the headlines. Administrators called in to family-run Windows firm. Government urged, urged to act on pledge to boost the countryside economy. King's honour is peak achievement for former hostage Terry Waite. Hundreds take the fight to cancer. The Barris and Denman's double glazing firm, which was heavily involved in the community, has gone into administration. Frames Conservatories Direct, which has its Berry showrooms on the Barton Retail Park in Barton Road, has closed down after more than 20 years trading in the town. Last Tuesday, administrators were called in to the Home Improvements Company. The family-run firm celebrated its 21st birthday last year. This week, Joint Administrator Andrew Kelsell of Larkin Gowan, Chartered Accountants, confirmed that Frames Conservatories Direct had ceased to trade. He said, sadly, with the general economic position, trading has proved difficult, and this coincided with the Director's wishes to retire. There was an attempt to sell the business, either in whole or part, but this has not proved successful. It is understood that most, if not all, former employees, stroke contractors, now have alternative employment. Last year, the company had 43 employees. The firm, founded by Adrian Lewis in 2001, was heavily involved with the community. In 2019, when former Howard Primary School caretaker Colin White was left paralysed after a fall, Frames Conservatories stepped in to build the conservatory to help improve his quality of life for the reduced price of £5,000. Other community initiatives saw the firm sponsor Berry's football and rugby clubs for more than 10 years, as well as raising thousands for charities, including St Nicholas Hospice Care and Berry in Bloom. Meanwhile, Mr Lewis completed numerous sponsored cycle rides for good causes. Last year he said, A company is only as good as its staff, and ours are brilliant. East Anglia's rural business leaders have welcomed ministerial pledges to boost the countryside economy, but said government must now act with urgency to deliver these promises. The Unleashing Rural Opportunity Programme sets out steps to improve rural housing, transport, digital connectivity and jobs. It includes £7 million fund to test new ways to bring together satellite, wireless and fixed-lined internet technologies, helping support farmers and tourism businesses to access fast, reliable connectivity in remote areas. 
there are also proposals to increase affordable housing by creating a network of rural housing enablers to help identify sites with local support for development and act as brokers between developers and communities. The government says it will consult on making it easier for farmers to convert redundant agricultural buildings into homes by streamlining planning rules. And there are also pledges to improve transport networks and mobile coverage, legislate to increase fly tipping penalties and consult on a new fund to help smaller abattoirs improve productivity and enhance animal welfare. Kath Crowther, Regional Director for the Country Land and Business Association, that's the CLA East, said, We're delighted that, at last, our calls are finally being heard, and the government is showing ambition for the countryside and those living within it. Today's announcement is a boost to rural business owners, who are determined to help grow the economy, create jobs and strengthen our communities. Until now, they have been held back by outdated planning laws, lack of connectivity and archaic infrastructure to properly acknowledge the cost of living rural premium. It, the government, must now act with urgency to deliver these promises and match the ambition of rural businesses. The programme was launched by Environmental Secretary Theresa Coffey, who said this government is committed to making sure the needs of people and businesses in rural areas are at the heart of policy making. We want to go further in, unleash in unleashing that potential and support people in rural areas to build the sustainable future they want. A former hostage who was held captive for almost five years, has said he has hit one of life's peak achievements after being included in the honours list. Sir Terry Waite, CBE, has been made a Knight's Commander of the Order of St Michael and St George, that's a KCMG, in the first King's Birthday Honours List for his services to charity. The Humanitarian is the co-finder and president of Hostage International, which supports families of those taken captive. He said, it really is a big surprise. I had no idea that this was coming up. Of course, whenever this sort of award is given, I recognise that there are a lot of people whom one shares that award with, particularly with Hostage International and Emmaus for the Homeless. They have worked incredibly hard and still do over the years to make those organisations what they are today. I'm just a figurehead, figurehead really. The 84-year-old who lives in Hartest near Bury St Edmunds spent almost five years in captivity after being kidnapped by Islamic terrorists in Lebanon from January 1987 to November 1991. He went to Beirut, the capital, to negotiate the release of hostages, but was captured himself. He spent much of the time that he was held captive, blindfolded and chained to a wall, and was kept in solitary confinement. He also faced a mock execution and was beaten. He continued, It is a very significant honour, and I am really amazed that I have got it. I suppose it is a peak, really. I was given an MBA, MBE many years ago, and then I got a CBE several years afterwards. 
Now this is the next one up and I think I've been very fortunate to get this because there are many other people who are deserving of honours who don't get mentioned. In a wave of pink, hundreds of runners and walkers, all with their own stories, but united by a single cause, brave the heat to take the fight to cancer. About 900 people joined Race for Life at Nowton Park in Bury St Edmunds on Sunday, completing a 3k, 5k or 10 kilometre course in aid of Cancer Research UK, with the event launched by MP Joe Churchill. They will have raised more than £70,000 for the cause close to their hearts and took part in a landmark year as it is the 30th anniversary of Race for Life. Among those gearing up for the race were Alicia Kent, aged 43, and her mum, Deborah Phillips, aged 68, both of Mildenhall, who donned pink tutus. Deborah's husband, Trevor, 73, was diagnosed with bowel and lung cancer in 2014 and survived. She said, it's rewarding for me as I feel really good about helping others like my husband was helped. Resplendent in pink, including wigs, were the Wanderers team, made up of husband and wife duos Kevin and Helen Goldsmith, aged 68 and 60, as well as Lorraine and Steve Hurran, aged 56 and 63, all of Needham Market. Kevin had cancer about 20 to 25 years ago, and the team have all had family members and friends who have died from the disease. Helen said, Race for Life is something I've always wanted to do, but never had the confidence before. Meanwhile, Linda's team were wearing blue and orange, as organiser Linda Millett's husband, Colin, has recently been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Linda, aged 65, of Wells Next to Sea, was joined by Debs Martin, aged 64, of the Stone Market area, and Virginia Cumley, aged 59, of Fordham All Saints. Together, they have generated more than £1,000. Virginia has a colleague who has been diagnosed with cancer, and Deb's cousin has prostate cancer. David Llewellyn, aged 66, of Feltwell, joined granddaughter Morgan of Bury St Edmunds for the race, in tribute to his wife Margaret, who was diagnosed with breast cancer last April, and has since been given the all-clear. Margaret, aged 64, was there to support them and highlighted the importance of routine mammograms. Without that, it would have been another two to three years before I felt a lump and I would have been so much further down the line, she said. She raised £600 from a coffee morning for the charity last September. Before the race began, Joe Brown led the warm-up and Gary Stevens was the event host. Rebecca Day, area area event manager for the charity said everyone has a reason for taking part it could be if someone is going through cancer treatment someone is a survivor or friends and family have a close connection to the cause everyone comes together for a reason and that's to be cancer west suffolk council's newly elected cabinet has finalized plans for an environment and sustainability working group to monitor the Council's progress in delivering on climate goals. West Suffolk has a net zero carbon emissions policy, hoping to reach this milestone by 2030. The working group is to consist of eight members, including councillors from the governing West Suffolk Working Partnership and the Conservative Opposition. While unable to make official decisions, 
It would assess and often recommendation, make recommendations on local climate policy. It will have a direct ear to the Cabinet and present at meetings. A spokesperson for the Council outlined the group's duties. Uh, the, the purpose of the body will be to review the progress that West Suffolk Council has made in delivering its action plans to move to net zero, but it will also make recommendations to Cabinet on West Suffolk Council's future role in protecting and enhancing the environment and wider opportunities to support residents and businesses on their journey to net zero. Councillor Julia Wakelam will serve as chairwoman of the group, while Councillor Frank Stennett will act as her deputy. Councillor Cliff Waterman, the leader of West Suffolk Council, said, Climate change is a global issue affecting us all, and we must all do our part to help tackle it. This decision to set up the new working group is part of our drive to make West Suffolk Council more ambitious in the actions we take and helping communities and businesses do what they can too. These may be small or large changes, depending on the person or organisation, but it all adds up and will lead to a better future for us all. Sustainability is one of our major priorities, which is why this is one of the first challenges our new administration will be tackling. This is a cross-party working group that will look at what we're currently doing to reach net zero and how we can work to protect and improve our environment and make West Suffolk as a whole more sustainable. West Suffolk Council cannot do this alone, and everyone has a role to play in tackling climate change. West Suffolk Council is consulting the public on the future of public drinking and begging bans in place across the district. Public Space Protection Orders, and that's known as PSPOs, provide the authorities with special powers to help combat antisocial behaviour in designated areas. Currently, a PSPO in place for Berries and Edmonds prevents people from drinking in the streets. Begging is prohibited in Berry Town Centre, and the orders also prohibit the antisocial use of vehicles in the town centre and on the Mortonhorn Estate. A PSPO requires dog walkers to bag and bin their dogs foul across West Suffolk and dogs are excluded outright from several areas. A cumulative impact assessment, that's known as a CIA, order limiting the development and growth of licensed premises is in force in Bury. However, the CIA is soon coming up for renewal and West Suffolk Council is obliged to consult the public on the effectiveness of this special order. A spokesperson for the Council said, a change in the law means that any decision to renew the CIA must be justified by evidence of its effectiveness. For that reason, the CIA, part of the consultation, is asking not for people's opinions, but to see if they have any evidence to support or against um, the renewal of the CIA for their area. A survey on local PSPOs and CIAs has been made available on the Council's website, with residents invited to have their say. Suffolk has seen a 40% rise in company insolvencies since 2019. The county saw 70 insolvencies in 2019, 
53 in both 2020 and 21, and 98 in 2022, according to research by the BBC Shared Data Unit. The East of England region saw the largest proportional rise in the UK. The BBC looked at creditors' voluntary liquidations, the most common way for firms to be shut down between 2019 and 2022. Using data from the Gazette, it found worst-affected areas saw the number of firms winding up rise fivefold in 2022 compared to 2019. The withdrawal of government support and soaring energy costs have been blamed by experts for the rise. Council areas on the outskirts of London made up five of the top ten council authority areas with the largest proportional rise. The east of England as a whole saw a 78.4% rise. In total, 20 out of 22 industry types saw more insolvencies in 2022 than 2019. Construction saw the biggest rise in insolvency proceedings. This was followed by wholesale and retail trade, repair of motor vehicles and motorcycles. The trust, which runs West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds, has confirmed staff will have to start paying to park from next month. Free parking at the hospital site on Hardwick Lane was introduced during the coronavirus pandemic, funded by the Department of Health and Social Care. This funding came to an end at the end of March 2022. Since then, the West Suffolk um, NHS Foundation Trust has absorbed the cost of staff car parking. However, staff members have now been told they'll have to pay to park from the 1st of July 2023. In a statement, a spokesman for the Trust acknowledged that reintroducing staff parking charges is not a popular decision. This is something that has been highlighted by the Union, who have had 1,185 signatures on their petition called West Suffolk Hospital, Don't Make Staff Pay to Work. The WSNFT spokesman said free car parking arrangements for NHS staff introduced during the pandemic and funded by the Department of Health and Social Care came to an end on the 31st of March 2022 and since then our trust has been absorbing the cost of staff car parking. Unfortunately, we have not been able to continue absorbing these costs. We understand that reintroducing car parking charges is not a popular decision and it was not an easy one to make, particularly in the context of pressures of the cost of living. The Trust operates a free shuttle bus service for all staff from two locations in Bury St Edmunds through through to the hospital site. West Suffolk... Um, NFT confirmed that shuttle buses will continue to remain free. In a report to the board in July last year, the Trust said providing free staff parking for 2022 to 2023 would cost them about £600,000. At the time, they said they had delayed reintroducing charges for as long as possible in recognition of staff concerns. Caroline Hennessy, Unison Eastern Head of Health, said prices are still rising and NHS staff are still struggling to get by. This year's NHS pay rise was far more than the government wanted to give, but it's still a long way short of what health workers deserve. 
The last thing staff need is a new charge on coming to work. West Suffolk must listen to the voices of staff and slam the brakes on these proposals. Introducing their petition online, the union said, when they first suggested this last year, that's the car parking charges, unions and reps made it clear that this is not acceptable. The trusts backed down and shelved the plans, but now they're back and refusing to budge. This is a tax on going to work. A spokesman for Unison said the petition was started last month and as well as the signatures online, there have been hundreds who have signed on paper. Unison have planned a rally where they will hand in the petition next week. An Ixworth care home, which has since closed, was rated inadequate by a watchdog for the third time. In a report published on Monday, the Care Quality Commission, that's the CQC, inspected Ixworth Dementia Village from May the 6th to May the 17th and found that the care home continued to be in breach of regulations relating to risk prevention, medication administration and preservation of dignity and respect. However, improvements had been made to ensure the risk of infection was reduced. The facility, run by Leaf Care Services, was shut last week after the care provider dropped its appeal following the CQC's decision to cancel the service's registration in November after an inspection, meaning it could no longer legally provide care at Ixworth Dementia Village. The CQC report found that the care provider still had not made improvements to ensure risks were being effectively identified and mitigated against. Staff were not allowed to contact emergency services or health care professionals without the permission of the registered manager, even if they were not at work. Fluid level charts did not show people had been given enough to drink. This meant people were at risk of dehydration. There were also still concerns around staffing levels. However, the report noted that there was evidence that staff were recruited safely and that disclosure and barring services checks were carried out. The report also found that improvements were made to ensure that the risk of infection was reduced. Residents have been moved to different care homes. A candle maker, a boxing accessory business, a livestock producer and a mobile coffee shop and treat bar. These were the stallholders who scooped top prize at a Young Market Trader of the Year competition this week. The young entrepreneurs were all competing in the local round of the competition run by the National Market Traders Federation. The qualifying rounds take place in Bury St Edmunds and Haverhill. The wider regional round will also take place in Bury St Edmunds next month, before the final in Stratford-upon-Avon in August. The winners, along with 12 others who are highly recommended, go through to the regional round. A total of 29 young traders, aged between 16 and 30 years old, took part. They came from across Suffolk, Norfolk and Cambridgeshire. Former West Suffolk College student Hannah Evans, aged 20 of Stowmarket, won the Arts and Crafts section with her Lavender and Lilac Candle Company, store selling candles, wax melts, burners and gift boxes. Jess Pratt, aged 24 of Hawley, won the Food and Drink category with her Morsi's store, a converted horse box selling allergen-free treats and coffee.
Amanda Hodgett, at 29, won the grocery category with her, med- with her meadow and woodland livestock s- store, which sells rare breed and traditional pork and lamb products. Jordan Warren, aged 30, from Felixstowe, won the general retail category with his box-a-ball store, which sells a boxing and fitness trainer. Jordan designed himself during a visit to China, as well as boxing accessories. The local and regional heats are supported by West Suffolk Council, which supplies tables, gazebos and and covers insurance costs. Sharon Fairweather, Market's Development Officer, said it was great to see so many young people taking part. We've had around 10 to 12 more entrants this year, illustrating what an attractive place to trade Bury St Edmunds is. I hope all the young traders learned something and enjoyed their day. Most of the young traders run their businesses full-time or part-time. Some already regulars at local markets, shows and festivals, while others have just begun their journey or are trying out markets for the first time. The judges were Chris Morris, um, business reporter for the Bury Free Press, Mike Kirkham, business support and marketing officer for our Bury St Edmunds, and Alan Hassel, manager for the ARC Shopping Centre. An antique centre at a leisure, retail and holiday park has expanded. Aspel Antiques at Stonham Barnes Park near Stowmarket has added a new 3,000 square feet outlet to house a variety of established and new traders from the antique sector in the region. Called Aspel Emporium Antique Centre, it brings together around 20 individual traders who will be located in one building. Aspel Antiques, also 3,000 square feet, is owned by Henrietta Lewis and Alan Knight and Wendy and Alf Faulkner. It recently featured on the Salvage Hunters and Antiques Road Trip TV shows. Alan Knight said, The Antiques Emporium will bring something surprisingly new and refreshing to Mid-Suffolk. Traders will be stocking quality-made, quirky items that will span the antique spectrum. The Abbey Gardens in Bury St Edmunds hosted large crowds over last weekend as the public gathered to enjoy a selection of tribute acts. The Nearly Festival, which took over the gardens, featured tributes to the likes of Queen, the Spice Girls, Lady Gaga and the Beatles, as well as Suffolk's own Ed Sheeran. Large turnouts were reported for both days. Organiser Adam Colton said, We were very blessed with good weather. We had an amazing turnout at the weekend. 1,400 people in on Saturday and 1,000 in on Sunday. The atmosphere was just cracking all weekend. We couldn't have been happier with it, really. I just wanted to send a massive thank you to everyone who came to Bury St Edmunds, anyone who travelled into town for the event. He added, we're very much looking forward to seeing you again next year. And huge thanks to everyone down at the park and the rangers who work so hard to keep the park so beautiful because it's such a wonderful setting for us to do the event. And now I have a selection of letters. My first letter is from the editor of Bury Free Press, Barry Peters. It's time to find a solution for the A14 problems. If you use the A14 every day or every week, even once in a blue moon, you can't have escaped delays or worse. 
Last week was another disastrous week for drivers. Two major crashes on one day alone. The injuries and worse are devastating and no one wants those. Add in the hours of frustration for individuals and the impact on business and the problem becomes far more wide-reaching than a pure accident scenario. But what's the answer? People drive across UK roads every day, of every week, of every year. Are we becoming demons behind the wheel? Are the huge leaps in car safety making us less aware of hazards? Suffolk Chamber is campaigning strongly for improved road links in the county. Its head of strategic communications musing this week if larger fines for drivers could act as a broader deterrent. Whatever the solution, we don't have one yet, and the continued impact on business owners, on future investment and on smaller firms cannot be underestimated, and yet goes on weekly. My letter is written by Simon Delart of Hargrave, and he says, now let's get on and build our new hospital. Everyone agrees there is an urgent need to build a new West Suffolk hospital. The funding is in place, so we now need to get on with the job and start building. Everyone in the community the hospital serves has a vested interest in seeing this project go ahead. Whatever your political affiliation, we all need to come together and get this done. Building a major new hospital is a huge undertaking, but we can do it. So put aside your objections and look at the project as an investment in you and your children's futures. A personal plea is that we build in a major trauma facility and a 24-hour helicopter landing pad. Currently, not even the helipad at Adambrooks, the region's only major trauma centre, is 24 hours. My next letter is from Councillor Caroline Topping, leader of East Suffolk Council. The new Green Liberal Democrat and Independent Administration at East Suffolk Council has the best interests of our communities at heart. We look forward to bringing forward a progressive programme of local services and making decisions which benefit our communities. So, it is with considerable amusement that we read local Conservative MP Dr Dan Poulter criticising us for a decision taken before we were even elected. In his recent opinion piece in the EADT, June the 14th, Dr Poulter actually blames our administration for permitting a housing development in Framlingham, which the local town council and local residents both opposed. However, it's scarcely believable that Dr Poulter doesn't know that the decision to permit the housing development was made last November by councillors from his own party. He presumably also knows that once his fellow Conservatives had made that decision, it could not legally be reversed. Our new administration was forced to ratify it against our wishes, and that's on the record. When Dr Poulter cynically blames us for breaking election promises and ignoring our local communities, he's really just pointing the finger at his own party. Perhaps that's why both Conservative councillors for Framlingham lost their seats to us. Framlingham residents know that we'll fight their corner and that we'll do our best to clean up the mess that the Conservatives left behind. We look forward to reading his apology. 
Now, John Cunningham of Hadley writes, Ways to use water wisely. Use of water has always been much of my concern. Too many of us have little thought about the quantity of tap water we use, when, with some care, we could reduce the amount. I lived at the start of Second World War in 1939, in a farmhouse on, Welsh, on a Welsh mountain, where water came from a stream, a distance from the property. Between mid-1940 and August 1945, we resided in a cottage in Derbyshire, where the toilet was 72 steps down the garden. Two large buckets were emptied once a week into a wooden cart, drawn by a horse, the contents of which were simply carted away to a dump. A friend of mine lived in a village abroad, where water was in short supply, so much so that there was saying, as far as use of the toilet was concerned, if it's yellow, let it mellow, if it's brown, then flush it down. We could all consider the number of toilet flushes each day and reduce the quantity of water in each flush by using a brick or a half brick in the tank or adjusting the level of the plastic bowl, which controls the level of water in the tank. Certainly our neighbours in Ukraine are having and going to certainly our neighbours in Ukraine are having and going to have severe water problems, particularly since the destruction of the wall of their massive dam. And Frank and her family did not flush their toilet in daytime in their Amsterdam secret hideaway in World War Two, for fear the sound of flushing could reveal their hideaway. Obviously, there are many ways in which we can all reduce the amount of tap water we use. I have recently done some work for a neighbour, digging out a stump of a tree in his garden, then filling the hole with soil and restoring the grass. I used many litres of washing up water, rather than tap water, to keep the restored hole damp. The grass is now successfully growing over the area. The length of the flush of our toilets can be adjusted downwards, but, as mentioned above, but do need to flush every time, but do need to flush every time we use the toilet. Now this comes from <coughs> Angela Snook of Ipswich. So pleased Mark Murphy has clarified some not-so-favourable points about the monoculture near waist-high grass verges, some blocking views of oncoming traffic at roundabouts and junctions. Yes, there are some examples of how this can be, quote, managed and even look attractive, but the inclusion of improved meadow and wildflowers needs serious incorporation and knowledgeable management. We have noticed that the starlings who have returned to Brook Hall Estate are unable to feed on trimmed verges as they would normally at this time of nesting, as the grasses are too tall and dense for them to be able to forage. The accompanying article concerning the awful injuries now sustained by hedgehogs because of the hidden shelter they've taken in these grasses, now that they are being cut, is a very serious statement of the damage done by lack of management. Thank you, Mark, for pointing all this out. Um, my next letter is written by Crystal Rolfe, Associate Director of Health and the RNID. And it says, don't feel the noise, protect your ears. Summer is well and truly on its way, which means more opportunities to be outside with friends and family and listen to live music. In all of the fun, we sometimes forget to look after our hearing health and how loud it's, and how loud sounds are. 
a live concert or festival can often reach levels of 110 decibels. Repeated or long exposure to sounds at 85 decibels or above can cause hearing loss, so it's important that whilst you're sipping that overpriced beer and singing along to your favourite artist, you take care of your ears. The good news is that there are some ways you can still enjoy yourself and keep your hearing protected. Carry earplugs with you and use them. The reusable kind, designed for clubbers and musicians, don't muffle sound, just make it a bit quieter and can protect your ears. Stay away from speakers. The closer you are, the greater the risk of hearing damage. Take regular breaks from the loudest areas to give your ears a rest. We want everyone to have a great summer and at the same time keep your hearing healthy for the future. Now our editor makes a little comment which is very interesting. Not, and she says, not sure how many of our listeners are festival goers, but you may have younger family members who will be attending these events in the summer months. My last letter comes from Jeff Hall via email, so we don't know where he lives. He is shocked after helping at a food bank. I've just done a few days at a food bank to help out and was shocked to see some people with no money, kids having no food and some living on toast. People say they can't afford to live. Food banks are growing daily as this government doesn't care. They forced our pensioners to go cold and forced more people into poverty than ever before. I'd love to meet these Tories. Sunak, what a clown, sends three million pounds to a college in America for computers, yet our schools are broken. A joke. We need them out now. They are an absolute disgrace to this country. My last letter is written by Clifford Davy of Stowmarket. It's quite amusing. He says the sun has its has sorry, the sun's hat is on at last. Another hot sunny morning with a nice breeze, the washing moving gently as it dries. But the line holds just two garments. The items a couple of thick towelling dressing gowns, one pink, the other blue. His and hers. A sign that the dark, cold days are well and truly gone. The need to wear warm clothing in the battle to keep heating bills down in respite for now. Indeed, the sun has got its hat on. Uh, now a what's on item you might be interested in. The Hidden Gardens of Bury on Sunday the 2nd of July from 11 to 5. Tickets available on the day from 10.30 at the Hospice Gazebo on Angel Hill. The entrance fee will be £7 to support St Nicholas Hospice Care. Right, I've got some snippets, um, snippets of news for you. Members of a trainer gunner course are celebrating after graduating and joining the RAF regiment. The 25 members of the trainee gunner course, that's the 522 El Alamine flight graduated, on at Ra graduated at Ra RAF Honington. At the ceremony, there was music from the band of the RAF College, um, as the King's colour for the RAF Regiment was also paraded. Squadron commanders and warrant officers from receiving RAF Regiment units also met the new arrivals and their families after the event. Officer Commanding Combat and Readiness Force Group Captain Jules Weeks was appointed as the reviewing officer and congratulated the new recruits on their future roles within the RAF Regiment. Awards were also given out to recruits. 
A Bury St Edmunds group is to restore a piece of the town's history, but it needs the help of the community. The Old Berrians Association, a group made up of past King Edward VI pupils, hopes to restore a pipe organ left to rot in the former St James Middle School building in the Vinefields back to its former glory. Initially installed in 1962 as a gift from the King Edward VI Foundation trustees, when King Edward VI school was based at the site, the organ was threatened with destruction when a planning application was submitted in April to turn the building into flats. The Old Berrians Association is hoping that the community will get behind the project and help raise the £42,000 needed to see the organ rebuilt in West Suffolk College's Gateway Building. Charles Hamill Cook, chairman of the group, said, If someone wanted to buy a pipe organ today, it would be in excess of £100,000, so it's a valuable instrument. I believe it's extremely unlikely that there is another pipe organ anywhere in East Anglia that isn't either in a church or in a private school. Mr Hamill Cook, who went to King Edward VI school during the 1960s, remembered the organ and made it his mission to rescue it. He hopes that the organ's prime location in the college and nearby to other schools will inspire a new generation of organ players. There is a shortage of organists now because there are very few organs for them to learn on unless pupils attach themselves to a church. Somebody from a different background might want to become organist if they like the music, he added. It's a valuable instrument and you can't let something like that be smashed up by a digger. The group is looking for donations by members of the public and businesses. It is also applying to funds including the National Lottery. When the organ is restored, the group hopes to organise a recital in the autumn. A community of floral artists and growers are preparing to build an interactive floral display in Bury St Edmunds to celebrate British Flowers Week. Suffolk members of Flowers from the Farm, alongside Berry in Bloom, will be creating an immersive and interactive piece of floral art on June the 28th on Angel Hill. The aim is to champion British floriculture, with the theme being regeneration. West Suffolk residents are being invited to try covering distances of less than a mile by foot or cycle instead of driving. West Suffolk Council issued the appeal to complete a Mile for My Mind as part of the National Clean Air Day campaign. Councillor Gerald Kelly said if distances of less than a mile were walked or wheeled across Suffolk, there would be 15 million fewer car journeys a year. Do you remember taking a dip at one of Suffolk's outdoor swimming pools in the summer? Ipswich, Sudbury and Beckles are among the towns that had or still have open-air swimming pools. The Grade 2 listed pool in Ipswich first opened in 1938 and thousands flocked there every summer. The pool was in such demand back in 1965 that crowds queued for hours for a place in the water. Sadly, the Lido closed in 2002, but the Broomhill Pool Trust fought to bring it back into use. The Lido in Sudbury was also very popular during the summer months. Hundreds of people would visit the town to take the plunge. Now the editor says, I remember the open air pool in Preston, Lancashire. Very, very chilly. 
And I likewise remember the school pool when I was a little girl, which was very, very chilly too. And my last snippet is St Peter's House Care Home in Bury St Edmunds is opening its doors to the public as part of a care home open week. Between June 26th and July 2nd, visitors will be welcome to explore the home from 10am to 2pm each day. The home's manager, George Catanescu, said, We are really looking forward to showing the public our fantastic facilities, the professional care and the many and varied activities that we offer residents. Now I'm going to read Looking Back with Martin Taylor and his subject is Spies, Bombs and Wartime Espionage. Bury St Edmunds Electricity was once supplied via direct current from the playfields off Prospect Row where generators were powered by the town's refuse burnt in furnaces, the rubbish collected in ubiquitous corporation dust carts. Later, in the pre-war years, a more efficient way of supplying power was developed, using alternating current from the national grid. But in August 1943, a mysterious explosion took place at the town's generating station, a theory abounding that it was the work of either fifth columnists, spies, or even double agents. Although two Scotland Yard detectives attended, nothing further was done. It turned out that two loyal Norwegian agents, Helga Moe and Tor Glad, nicknamed Mutt and Jeff, after two American inept comic strip characters that ran from 1907 until 1983, had come to Britain under the pretense of helping Nazi Germany. And, to prove their worth, this act of sabotage, organised by MI5, was carried out. The deception had, been, had begun in 1941, when Helga and Tor landed by rubber dinghy with sabotage equipment on a Scottish beach and at once gave themselves up as enemy agents. Subsequently, the information sent by these two law Norwegians was spurious intended to lead the Germans down the garden path, especially after the agents were told to blow up an electric generating station. Many years later, in 1985, the truth finally emerged when the then manager of that facility, Ray Stebbings, told a newspaper that a bomb had gone off on an unused condenser. With the release of 2013 of previous classified government papers, it was stated that MI5 claimed that no German agents successfully detrimentally operated in Britain. Now I have an article written by Matt Hancock, MP for West Suffolk, headed It's Great News for Our Hospital. As the representative for West Suffolk and a former health secretary, I couldn't be happier to share the thrilling announcement that the government has committed the funding for rebuilding West Suffolk Hospital as part of the transformative new hospital programme I launched in 2019. This is a significant stride in enhancing healthcare infrastructure in our region and it's a moment that calls for celebration. West Suffolk Hospital holds a special place in the hearts of our local community, cherished by both patients and staff. However, the current buildings and the layout of the hospital present limitations that hinder the delivery of 21st century health care that our patients and dedicated NHS staff deserve. 
The existing hospital buildings on Hardwick Lane were built in 1974 and have already long exceeded their intended 30-year lifespan. Thankfully, this much-needed investment in its redevelopment ensures that we can provide our patients with safe, state-of-the-art facilities and enhanced care. Undoubtedly, a hospital is more than just a building. It's the kind and dedicated staff within it who truly make a difference and the importance of our NHS staff cannot be overstated. Day after day, they selflessly provide compassionate care, going above and beyond to ensure the well-being of their patients. They are the heartbeat of our healthcare system, and it is our duty to provide them with an environment that empowers their skills and dedication. The new hospital's modern infrastructure will provide state-of-the-art facilities and cutting-edge technology, allowing our healthcare heroes to deliver the best possible treatments and interventions. Thousands of people within our community will benefit greatly from this investment, as the new hospital represents a commitment to patient-centred care. Patients can anticipate improved access to high-quality care, shorter waiting times and a healthcare experience that is seamless and comfortable. The plans the team have put together at the hospital are very impressive and I look forward to seeing them become a reality. Having had the privilege of leading the largest hospital building programme back in 2019, I am absolutely thrilled by the government's decision to invest over £20 billion in constructing new hospitals. This remarkable funding, specifically designed for the new hospital programme by 2030, fills me with immense pride. I am eagerly anticipating the incredible outcomes that will emerge from this substantial investment. As we move forward with this project, I readily await the opportunity to visit the rebuilt West Suffolk Hospital. Witnessing firsthand the tangible benefits it will bring to our community is something I am greatly looking forward to. The rebuilding of West Suffolk Hospital is not only an investment in infrastructure, it's an investment in the health and happiness of our people. And if I may be permitted a comment, that is absolute blah, blah, and no information about when it will be built. <laughs> right. Terrible. Now we'll conclude um, with um, heroes react to the honours from the palace. Ten of Suffolk's finest workers and volunteers have been recognised in the King's first birthday honours list. A scout leader, NHS workers, an education leader and police service volunteer are featured on the list. Knights Commander of the Order of St Michael and St George, that's the KCMG, is Sir Terry Waite, CBE, who lives near Bury St Edmunds. He's been recognised with his honour for his services to charity. A former hostage who was, taken, who was captured and held captive for almost five years in Lebanon said, It's really a big surprise. It's a very significant honour and I'm really amazed that I've got it. And then officers of the um, Order of the British Empire Medal, and that is the OBE, Professor Tim Whitley has been recognised with his award for his service to communication technologies and to scientific policy. The Managing Director for Research and Network Strategy at BT has been with the company for 40 years and in that time has worked with many academic institutions on numerous projects while also committing to the work he has achieved with BT. 
He said, I'm delighted and humbled to accept this honour as a reflection of the way in which UK scientific research has helped shape the, te shape the telecommunications technology. I would like to thank all of my colleagues at BT Group and many academic researchers we work with for their tireless efforts. Then Dr. Ed Garrett, Chief Executive of the NHS Suffolk and North East Essex Integrated Care Board, has also been awarded for his services to the integrated care system. He notably led the system's COVID-19 vaccination campaign, which was recognised as one, as one of the best performing areas in the country for its work to ensure people were vaccinated. He said, I'm so thrilled and humbled. It's a reflection of the hard work our staff, partners and volunteers put in, who were so incredible during the pandemic and since. It's a privilege to work in Suffolk and North East Essex, and I'm very motivated to continue to drive forward the progress which we have made in our recovery from the pandemic. And the members of the Order of the British Empire, which is MBE, um, Professor Helen Langton, Vice-Chancellor of the University of Suffolk, has been recognised for her service to education. Since joining the university in 2018, she has been a driving force behind a transformational programme, creating vital partnerships that increase education, economic and well-being opportunities. She said, I am overwhelmed and humbled to have been awarded an MBE and I'd like to pay tribute to colleagues in the university and across the county. I'm fortunate to work alongside incredibly dedicated people who are striving to make the university a success regionally, nationally and internationally. And finally, I have a list of medalists of the Order of the British Empire. That's the BEM. First, Joan Norman, Scout Leader at First I Scout Group has been given a BEM for services to young people and the community in Suffolk. She's been with the Scouts for 47 years and has said she has met some awesome young people and has had opportunities she would never have done otherwise. She said, I'm very honoured to be given this lovely award. I was at home when I heard and I initially thought it was a speeding fine or jury summons, but when I opened it, it was a delight and I was jumping for joy. Then Sandy Ruddock has also been recognised for her services to business and to the voluntary sector in Norfolk and Suffolk. The co-founder and owner of Scarlet and Mustard Limited in Framlingham, she started the business in 2012 with products now widely stocked by retailers around the UK. She said, to be honoured with this award is fantastic and it was such a lovely surprise. I'm very happy to accept it on behalf of all the small and micro businesses which make up the beating heart of the East Anglian economy. Next, there's Karen Harris, who has worked at the police for the last 20 years and has been recognised with the BEM for services to policing. The founder of the Suffolk Sexual Assault Referral Centre from Felixstowe said, I was absolutely speechless, completely overwhelmed and just feel incredibly honoured. Richard Clark, crew manager at Suffolk Fire and Rescue Services, has been recognised for services to the firefighters' charity and to the community in Suffolk. He left Newmarket Fire Station in 2019 for his current role after spending 25 years and personally attending over 5,000 calls in Newmarket.
Gareth Elliott from Bury St Edmunds has been recognised for his services to lowland rescue and to the community in Aylesbury of Buckinghamshire. And finally, Louis Horn, Deputy Associate Director of Nursing at East Suffolk and North East Essex NHS Foundation Trust, has been recognised for services to nursing. She mentors over 500 international nurses and moved to Ipswich 23 years ago from the Philippines. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsby News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, the East Anglian Daily Times, the Haverhill Echo and the Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Sue, Colin, Neil and Chris, it's goodbye. Bye-bye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.